Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Great meeting store for you guys today. My name is Eddie Phillips. It's a privilege to be up here today talking to you guys. If you are new here and you're not familiar with the tenets of Man Challenge, our, our core values, we, we propel forth basic things. A next step of faith for each man, a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is, authentic and intentional male relationships, and a heart to invest in others. But it's on that second tenet, that second value that I want to land just for a second here, that one that said about a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is. So I grew up in Chicago. I grew up a Bulls fan. Um, and in my late teens, uh, mid-20s, uh, Jordan and the guys were winning championships during that time. But something very interesting happened before that. Okay, if you guys watched the 30 for 30 series, okay, there was one on the Detroit Pistons, okay, uh, the bad boy Pistons. Guys like Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, Mark Aguirre, uh, Vinnie Johnson, uh, Bill Lambeer, and Dennis Rodman. But here's what's interesting. If you watch that documentary, Dennis Rodman said, when Scotty grew up, we knew we could not beat the Bulls. So that was back during an era where you could actually check a dude, right? You could play ball, okay? And they knew, they said, we can't stop Mike, but if we can mess with the psychology and the, the physiology of these other guys, namely their second best player, for years the, the Bulls struggled to get through that hump. What does that mean? What did I take from that? You guys are here to grow in your, comp your confidence and your competence in who Jesus is. And your enemy knows, he knows that when your confidence level your competence level matches up with your calling. You can't, you're ready to dominate. He knows that. So he knows, man, I cannot let this dude become the father he wants to be. I can't let this dude become the husband he wants to be. I can't let this man be an effective kingdom builder that he wants to be because once his skill set, once his confidence reaches up with his calling, it's a wrap for me. And that's exactly what happened with the Bulls. So you guys, I want you to look back at whatever it is you do in life. How many of you can say, I'm more competent and confident, confident and competent now than I was when I first started? 
I've been doing this job 14 years. 13 with Metro, uh, and now recently with another department. I'm not the same officer that I was in the academy. I'm not the same officer that I was five years ago. My competency and my confidence is different than it was then. And that's the same with you men. It's the same with you men. Because it's a dangerous thing to have the responsibility and the competency to do something well. Flip side of that too, right? It's a dangerous thing to have responsibility and to have competency and be irresponsible. But that's not why we're here. We're here to develop competence and confidence in who Jesus is. So when your opportunity comes, right, and the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder, and you might say to yourself, man, the last time that he did that, I didn't walk through that door. But you're going to walk through that door next time. Because why? You might say, man, that guy needed me to, 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 to testify to him about Jesus. And I balked at it. I didn't do it. Why you didn't do it? Because maybe you just, you just, it, you didn't feel right. You didn't feel confident. But the next time, the next time that happens, you're going to grab that opportunity and you're going to grab it with confidence. And the Holy Spirit is going to back you up. Because he's going to say, guess what? To your mind, everything that I taught you. And you ain't got to worry about hitting that game winner. You know why? Because you're just going gonna to rely back on what, on your principles, on what you have done consistently. So when the moment comes, you can execute. Uh, guys, I'm excited about this series, Joseph. You're going to see uh, a lot of powerful things in his story. Before we bring Chris out, I want to just acknowledge a couple of things that has happened in our midst. Where is uh, Brad Clark? Brad, where you at? Brad Clark, are you here? Okay. Well, Brad Clark spearheaded the Valentine's luncheon for 215 widows. It's worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, TJ Brinker. Where's TJ? TJ, TJ here? Yes, yes. So, which explains why he's not here, right? Uh, so, TJ Brinker, one of our Man Challenge table leaders, just had a daughter, number three, last week. So, we want to give a shout out to him. Um, I set my timer because I didn't want to go long. I, I can go long, but but I didn't want to. And, and Chris made me. Chris let me. Chris said, "Man, Eddie, you got you got <laughs> you got uh, you got eight minutes, bro." So, Chris, come on out, brother. Yeah, 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 you good, man, yeah. Well, you got that gun, you got all that <laughs> stuff, man. I gotta come out when you tell me. So, um, first of all, I sit at Chris's table, and uh, man, Chris has been a, a blessing to me, and I really love how he uh, allows the Holy Spirit to speak to him. Um, and then deliver that, whatever that is. So we just want to acknowledge that to you, brother, this morning. But as we get into Joseph, 
what is one thing, Joseph's chock full of stuff and you know that, but what is one thing that you want these men to take from our study of Joseph, man, if there's one thing you can pinpoint? Yeah, I would, I would say just be in tune to each week as each speaker comes and, and really opens up God's word. I think the, the common theme or the common denominator is going to be the sovereignty of God that you're going to see that throughout, that he is in control. And when we get to chapter 50, it's going to talk to what, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That every situation that we're placed ourselves in, that God will bring some good out of that. Sorry, guys, that's my timer going off here. Well, you got a badge, man. You got a badge. I'm not going to mess with you today. Okay. Well, let me pray for you. That sounds good, buddy. Father God, thank you for the table that you have set uh, for us this morning. Lord, I just ask that uh, you would speak through Chris. Let Allow his spirit to yield to yours and deliver what you have prepared, the meal you have prepared for us this morning, Lord God. Let Chris, you know, he's made his notes, but if he needs to go off his notes, Father God, then allow him to go off his notes. And Lord, we just create an atmosphere in this place of prayer blocking any transfer of that wealth and spirit that you have for these men in this audience today as we open up your word and receive what you have planned for us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Eddie. Appreciate it, buddy. Right on. Is that him right there? Is that the brother right there? All right, my man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, I got it. I got mine. You take that out there with you, brother. Okay, brother. All right. Well, good morning. So glad you guys are, are here. You got everything? All right. Vince Lombardi, former coach, Green Bay Packers, he stood in front of his uh, 38 players and 1961. They had just lost in the NFC Championship the year before to the Eagles. He stands in front of his team and he said, "Um, gentlemen, it's time we get back to the basics. He reached down and he picks up this football and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And everybody started giggling. But there's one guy that stood up in the back and he said, Max McGee, a wide receiver, he stood up and he said, Coach, slow down. You're going too fast. Even Vince Lombardi laughed about that. You know, there, there's, something, there's something incredible and very impactful when we talk about the basics, the simple truths that are applied and applicable to each and every one of us. Sam Reeder and myself, along with some other guys, we'll, we'll often talk and kind of... Um, Kind of examine what this group, what do we all need to hear from? Series, you just don't kind of wing it and just say, hey, I think we'll talk about this. And it never, ever fails that when we get together talking about it, he says, you know, there's something about just the old stories. I wish we could just redeem the stories of old, is how he put it. Where you got Moses, God parting the Red Sea. You got the burning bush with Moses. You've got Noah building the ark. You've got David taking a stone and hitting 
um, Goliath on the head and he falls to the ground. You see of Daniel in the lion's den, you see of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I can go a lot of different directions with that, but you understand where I'm talking. You never run out of material. You only run out of time. And I'm still on the clock. And about 6.45, I have to be off where we can talk as a group. So you never run out of material, only time. We're going to take the next nine weeks. The next nine weeks, we are going to look at the life of Joseph. Now, Joseph, there's going to be 15 chapters that's going to be given to this guy. 15 chapters. In the book of Genesis, there's only one person that gets just amount of time as that, and that's Abraham. In the Old Testament, there's only one person that has more ink than Joseph, and that's David. There is not a flagrant foul against this guy. No, he's not perfect, okay? But he's faithful to God in spite of any hardship that comes his way. Now, that can't be said for a lot of, um, a lot of the heroes of the faith, which we're going to look at here in just a second. He would be what a coach would call a, a five-star player. He would be a dude. He would be a stud. You'd want this guy on your team. He would be what a business leader would call an up and rising entrepreneur. He would be what a, um, a spiritual person in a church would say he's very gifted. He's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, that he is a man that is walking in manner worthy of his calling. Joseph is going to be on point on a lot of things. I'm going to give you three really quickly, and then we're going to jump into our text, okay? The first thing that Joseph is on point with is he is on point theologically. Theologically, Joseph is going to be on point. You're going to look at him, and, he, and you're going to see that he is going to trust in the sovereignty of God. That no matter where he is, guys, no matter where he is placed, he knows that God not only knows where he's at, God is with him, and he's going to trust in that. Theologically, he's on point. Second thing about Joseph is he is morally, he's on point. Morally, he is going to be on point. This guy's going to be an example. He's going to be an example to all of us. He's going to be a godly son. He's going to be a, um, a godly single man. If you want to know what it's like to be a single man, Joseph's going to be able to tell us that. He's going to be able to set an example for us to, to, to how to act when we are done wrongly and we are falsely accused. He's going to give us an example of how we are to act morally. He's going to show us exactly how we should act when we are um, encountered and we have to flee temptation immediately. He's going to give us an example on that. If you're a business guy, morally, he's going to be your guy that how you can walk in integrity, that you can pursue excellence at your job, and anywhere that you're placed, you can walk in integrity. He's going to show us an example morally, that you're going to be faithful right where he has placed you. And he's going to give us an example on how to die well. That's going to be our last message. They're going to watch this guy as they put him in the ground. He's died faithfully. And we're going to look at that together. So theologically, morally, and the last thing that, that Joseph is on point with, he's on point Christologically. Now, I know that's a big word, okay? Don't ask me to spell that word. 
Okay, I hope Andy spelled it right on the, on the slide. But Christologically, this is the clearest picture of a person in the Bible that when we look at his life, we actually see snapshots of Christ. And that's big. A.W. Pink, Arthur Pink, in his book, um, I think it's Leanings of Christ, he said that there's 101 parallels, 101 parallels of the life of Joseph and Christ. He walked faithfully with God all of his life. He should serve as, a, as a, an important and an inspiration to every single one of us with so many unfaithfulness and, and lack of commitments that are around our lives that we can look at the life of Joseph, ultimately look to the life of Christ, and we can hold on to the promises of God. That when anything comes our way, we can set our anchor down and we can hold on that God knows where we are at. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to dig into this. We're just going to look at 11 verses. We're going to kind of polish it off. And I think we'll see a reflection of ourselves. Here's what it says in Genesis 37. Look at verse 1. It says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings. These are the generations of Jacob. Another word for sojourning is the word residence. And so it's going to say this is where Jacob, Joseph's father, lived. And he's going to talk about um, where that home was, their residency, their family. Now, we're talking about the royal family, okay? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I mean, that, that's talked about from every Jewish man. Every Jewish person knew this family or wanted to be like this family. They were the patriarchs. However, um, it's a royal mess, it is a mess. A family counselor, if they come rolling up on that family, they would have flagged that family immediately, okay? You look at Abraham's life. Abraham was, um, he waffled on the promises of God for 75 years. God gave him a promise when he's 25 that some, it's gonna, the seed is going to come through your loins. It's going to come through your P.O. box. And he waffled on it for 75 years. You look at Abraham's life, he, um, he was a coward in some situations. He didn't stand his ground. Often, a couple times in particular, he lied. So you see what kind of, yes, he was used by God, but you see some character flaws in him. You look at Isaac. Isaac was a very passive father. He also carried on that lineage of lying from time to time. Jacob, Joseph's father that we're looking at now, he was a deceiver. He was crooked. He swindled. Even his family members he would run game on. Would it be easy to fall into that, that line of Abraham, all of the negative things, Isaac, all of the negative things, Jacob, would it be easy for Joseph to say, hey, man, that's just what was, that was modeled to me. That's just, what we, that's just what we do here. It was seen, it was modeled. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God will break. He'll break them. 
He'll crush them, we read, to get their attention. He'll bring them to their knees. Can God do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. A.W. Tozer is quoted as saying this, God never uses anyone greatly until he breaks them deeply. And that's what he did with those patriarchs. Joseph could have went back, but he's choosing to do different. There's a story of, um, of a family in Florida. These boys grew up, same mom, same dad, same city, same project area, okay? They grew up with the same, but the two brothers grew up differently. One's in a Florida penitentiary, even today. The other brother went to um, Ivy League schools and is a doctor. They interviewed both of them in a, in a commentary. I didn't play it. I probably could have, but just for time's sake. The brother in the penitentiary said this. If you knew the way I was raised, you would know why I'm in here. Well, let's, go, let's go talk to the other brother. The other brother said, if you knew the way I was raised, you would know why I don't want to go back to that. Same upbringing, two different choices. Joseph is going to be that guy. He's going to be a model servant. You're not going to see a flaw in him. He's not perfect, no, but he's a perfect picture of how we should be. He's going to be a model sage, which is a fancy word for someone with wisdom, self-control. He wants to be excellent in every area of his life. He's also going to be a model uh, sufferer. That we're in place in negative situations, he's going to give us an example of how we're supposed to be. And he's going to be a model savior. That he's loved by the father. He's hated by the brothers. That he's thought to be dead, but he humbles himself to death. He's alive. Okay. Sound familiar? It's a picture of Christ. So we looked a little bit about Jacob. Now let's look at Joseph. 37.2. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah, Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought, bad, Joseph brought a bad report to their father. Now, let me just really quickly, when you see Jacob having wives, his father's having wives, I don't want to chase a rabbit, that's never approved by God. That's, that's not what we want to do. God ends up blessing it because God is God. Not because of there, but because he's God. Okay, so he had two wives, okay? Two wives, two concubines. I, I've got, been married one wife, 21 years. That's all I can handle. That's all I can take is one wife, okay? It says he's a shepherd, 17-year-old. A 17-year-old boy. He's a junior in high school. And he's shepherding the flock faithfully. But Jacob had two wives, two concubines. Leah gave him six children. Rachel gave him two. The other concubines gave him four. So all of the kids, all of the children are working. Joseph is considered to be the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd along the other lousy shepherds. And he goes and gives a report to the father. He gives a bad report report to the Father. John 10 says that Jesus is a good shepherd. And guess what he'll do? He's going to give a report to the Father about 
the lousy shepherds. He talks about in John. The lousy shepherds were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Yeah, Jesus gave a report. So before you really, really quick and, and come at Joseph for being a tattletale, no, nah, he's what some people would call a good team player. He's going to call things out when it needs to be called out. He's going to lift people up when they need to be lifted up. He's going to call things to an account as well. So he gives a bad report. Let's look at 37.3. Now Israel, that's Jacob, he changed his name when he wrestled with God. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of the old age. And he made a robe of many colors. His father loved Joseph more than any of the other sons. Now I've got three daughters, okay? And as my children grow, Tammy and I grow too. As they grow, we parent now different than what we did then, okay? Early on, if the pacifier falls down, you know, you, you throw it away. You go, get a, you go buy another pacifier. Second kid, the pacifier dro drops, you just kind of grab it. You put it under some water, give it back to her. Third kid now, you grab that pacifier, drops off, you, you just blow it, put it back in. A lot, a lot changes, okay, as you get older. But it says that this, this parent loved Joseph more than the others. It doesn't go into a whole lot of detail why, but I, I would figure to think that if he had enough time, go back and look at how Joseph loved, I'm sorry, how Jacob loved Rachel. But he was swindled and tricked to marry Leah, her sister. So, I could see why he really loved Rachel and her offspring, which was Joseph, more than the other ones. Jacob gave his son a coat. Now, you all, you all were probably raised in hearing that story. Joseph and the coat of many colors. The coat was distinctly, distinctly different in color, yeah. But it was distinctly different in control as well. Now, see, this, this robe, what it did is this, this robe went all the way to the wrist, and, and he was dressed like a king. So it marked that the one wearing it, the one wearing the coat that went down to the wrist was the foreman. And basically, the father was saying, this is the guy next in line. He is the one. And guess what jo Joseph did? He wore it everywhere. And those brothers constantly saw that. And they realized that they were passed over. They were looked over, that the young one is going to do it. It's a constant reminder to those brothers of the greater love for Joseph over them. It was a constant reminder of the greater position that Joseph had been given over them. Now, this was countercultural now. The oldest was always going to be the one that was going to be in charge. Not here. This is God's choosing. God will bless Joseph in a major way. Now, all of these 12 sons of Jacob will be the 12 tribes of Israel. But you don't have a tribe of Joseph. Now, you don't have a tribe of Joseph. Joseph has two sons, though, Ephraim and Manasseh. So Joseph will get a double blessing. Why? Because God is in control. 
He is sovereign. Look at verse 4. But when the brothers saw their father's love for him more than all of the brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to Joseph. Joseph is loved by the father, and he's hated by the brothers, just like Jesus. Look at Luke 16, 14. It's going to come on the screen. It says, Jesus was hated. And basically they said, we don't want this man to reign over us. He was loved by the father. He was hated by the brothers. Look at verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told them, they hated him even more. Now I don't know how you have levels of hate. That's kind of like either you're pregnant or you're not. You can't be halfway pregnant. You either are or you're not. It's the same way with hate. You either love me or you hate me. But it says that they hated him even more. I have two brothers. One of them, I think, is in here this morning. If he came to me and said, um, you know, I have a dream. I had a dream, Chris. And this is what it's going to be. And he just kind of rattles through that. If I didn't like the dream, man, I'm, I'm just going to say, hey, man, get Get out of here, man. Go, go, play some, go play some football or something. Get, get out of here. These guys take it to a whole nother level. Because it says something. Look at verse 37, verse 6. It's going to tell them the dream, and this is why they're so upset. Because this dream is going to basically say that he's going to take preeminence over them. He's going to rule them. Here's what it says in 6. He said to them, hear this dream I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for the dreams and for the words. Jealousy is starting to, to be planted. It's starting to grow. Jealousy is growing at a rapid rate for Joseph. I don't believe that this is arrogance from Joseph. I know I've talked to several couple of you guys in here. It'd be easy for someone to read this, and, and I gotta admit, I did that when I was younger. I looked at this and said, man, you know, like, it's kind of arrogant, it's kind of cocky. I don't think so. This is a dream. This is a dream from God to Joseph. He is walking in light of what he knows. God is calling him to be a great leader. And it's hard to be a leader in front of the groups if we cannot be a leader within our own home. It's hard to lead outside when we're not leading right here. And so he's getting used to saying this. He is excited about this dream. His brothers recognize God has ordained this. And it's really hard for them on this. He has hated words for them. Let's look at them. Um, and they're ticked off. Very similar to Jesus. He was hated for his words, wasn't he? Yes, Jesus was hated for his words. In John 7, 7, it says that, that, that Jesus, um, that they hated him. That the words that he said that they hated him for it. But Jesus told the truth. And he said the truth will what? Set you free. 
Jesus was bold in his actions toward the people. Why? Because the Father had given him a word. Jesus said, you are like your father, the devil. Think about that. Think about when you stand in front of people and you are that bold. Jesus was that. Joseph was the youngest brother. Jesus was also the carpenter from Nazareth. It's countercultural. It's counterintuitive. Look at verse 9. It says, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have a dream, another dream. I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing to me. Joseph was promised a remarkable future to God. Jesus, the same way. In the word, it says that he looked past the cross to the joy that was set before him, Hebrews talks about. Joseph was foretold of his sovereignty. Jesus did the same in Matthew 26, 64. He said, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. There's a great parallel between the two. Look at verse 10 and 11. But when he told the father and his brother, his brothers and father, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I, your mother and brothers indeed, come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And the brothers were jealous of him, but the father kept saying in mind. I think that last little phrase just kind of jumps out to me a little bit. And the father kept this saying in mind. There's different thoughts that as I've looked through different things and I've even thought myself, what was Jacob thinking at that moment? He hears this dream twice and, and he sees the dysfunction going on within his family. And he hears these dreams and he starts to think to himself. He kept this saying in mind. Maybe, maybe Jacob's thinking, I was part of this maybe. Yeah, I, I showed more favorable love to Joseph than the other brothers. Maybe I, I gave him a coat. I didn't give the other brothers anything. Maybe, maybe just a thought. Maybe he sees the family dysfunction. Maybe he saw his own life. Maybe Jacob saw his own life, how he tricked and deceived his brother. Maybe he looked throughout his life and done all, looked at all of the negative things that he had done. Maybe he looked back and he thought, you know what, I really did love Rachel. Or, yeah, I really did love Rachel more than Leah. And I treated Leah terrible. Maybe he thought a little about that. Maybe he thought that the sovereign Lord is really with Joseph. And Joseph is being raised at such a time as this. And the Lord will do what he wants. If one thing that I see in the life of Joseph, it's the sovereignty of God. And I said that when Eddie brought me up, that he is in control and that I'm not. I mean, I've, I have spoken many places that if I said that right there, there'll be a lot of people who say amen. Because yes, he's placed us in some situations that we don't know what is going on, but he's there. 
And that makes some of us feel uncomfortable when we talk about the sovereignty of God, that he's in control. And maybe, just maybe, it makes us feel uncomfortable because when we say that he is in control, then by definition, we're saying I'm not in control. My college football coach always used to say this, that uh, there's a reason that why God gave dogs fleas. It's because he wants to remind them he wants them to remember that they're always, that they're still dogs. And I think that there's a reason why God gives or maybe even allows situations in our life. It's because that he wants us to know that we're not God and that he is. Joseph as well will see and will overcome some of the most humble circumstances and be a successful servant of God. Now let me put some skin on it. We're done. We can, too, um, have certain things that we just talked about. Family dysfunction, you don't have to raise your hand in here because I'm sure there'd be a lot of us. Been some family dysfunction, okay? Maybe there's some anger, hostility. Um, Maybe there is alcoholism. Maybe there's pornography addiction. Maybe there's all kinds of certain things. That if I asked you to raise your hand, man, there would be hands going up all in this place. But I also could maybe point some people out that have struggled with that, yet God had saw them through. And I would have those guys come up here one by one, and they would stand behind this, and it would be hard for them to even get the words out. They would cry, probably cry their eyes out. However, they would end it by saying, God has been faithful to me, and he has seen me through this. He's walked with me. I think that's where we could get Romans 8, 28. I think that's what Paul talks about. They almost compliments this text. For we know that all things work together for good to those that love him, for those who are called according to God's purpose. You know who else grew up in a family that was imperfect? Jesus. Yeah, he grew up in an imperfect family. Mom and dad um, argued before they were married. We know the reason why, because Mary's pregnant. Joseph's not the dad. I'm sure there would be a little argument with that. It says in one text that, that, Joseph, or that Jesus goes in at 12 years old to the temple and Joseph goes with him. We don't see Joseph anymore. Not this Joseph. The other Joseph. We don't read of Joseph anymore. We see Mary at the cross. When Jesus is being crucified, Joseph's not there. Doesn't go into the text. We don't know if Joseph died or he just left. Either way, Jesus, from the age of 12 to 33, was raised single-parent home. Jesus' brothers heckled him. They gave him a lot of crap. But he was faithful right where God called him to be. You know the reason why? Is because his father was impartial. His father was generous. His father was faithful. And and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. I don't know as we look at this story this morning where it's at. It's my prayer that as we go to our table time, that there will be some real, authentic conversations that will be had. 
This is the one place that you don't have to feel like you've got it all together. Because the truth is, none of us in this room have it all together. So as we sit and we unpack this text, and we talk about the questions at the table, may we be open and transparent. And may God do something in our lives that only he can do, because he is sovereign and he is faithful. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. God, I thank you for dying on the cross for a sinner like me. Lord, I'm thankful for this, this, this message, this word. I'm thankful for this series. God, as we look at one person's life, and as we look through him, we see you. So, Father, may we, um, may we take this in. May we be open, honest, and transparent with who we are, but most importantly, understand our need for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Appreciate it, guys.
Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media. 